One of the reasons why I love rock and roll so much, past the music, is the rich treasure trove of stories that it begets. These stories, often rumors, over time, are embellished into grand fables that only help build the mystique of the individuals involved. We all willingly suspend disbelief when devouring these yarns, spun by the storytellers eager to glean the spotlight for themselves by the recounting. There are many rumors, myths, and fairy tales that get passed back and forth inside the fellowship of rock and roll. We all keep them close to the vest in a show of solidarity because we know it could be us that's talked about next. Sometimes there are neophytes in the fold that let stories slip out, and once it's out, seem to sprout wings and become ten times more interesting than the original tale. But there has been a rumor that I've heard for years, and every time it's told, different names are involved, some so outlandish that I knew it had gotten out of hand. But the rumor was, 20 years ago, when Sammy Hagar left Van Halen after the Balance album, Van Halen found a singer that could sing better than Hagar and Roth was better looking, had everything going for him, and then he was gone. He had left, of his own accord, like some Kaiser Soze in the mist. Who was this guy? Van Halen, if you haven't figured out by now, is one of my favorite bands of all time. If I was singing for one of my favorite bands of all time, you would have to use a SWAT team to get me to leave. Anybody familiar with the Van Halen story knows that the open position was eventually filled by Gary Sharon, ex-singer of Extreme, on the Van Halen 3 album. A great singer in his own right. But the rumor remained. Gary was brought in after this long-lost singer had vacated. The story went around for so long and, and then was forgotten until two years ago. On YouTube, there was a 13-and-a-half-minute documentary called Mitch Malloy, Van Halen's Lost Boy. Go ahead and do a search for yourself and watch the documentary. It details Mitch's brief stint as the lead singer of Van Halen in 1996 and overnight turned this towering rumor into rock and roll fact. Watching Mitch explain his side of the story was fascinating, and a kind of story I have never heard before. In this rat-infested, snake-infested den of absolute shitty people we call the music industry, here's a guy who walks with integrity and dignity intact, immune to the lure of shallow temptation and cheap trinkets. I can't help but respect Mitch's decision to leave Van Halen, mainly because I don't think I would have had the balls to leave myself. Usually the trajectory for a rock and roll story goes from rags to riches. We've all heard it before, but Mitch was already doing just fine on his own before Van Halen came knocking, as he will explain in this episode. We didn't touch on every point of his stay in Van Halen. We skipped over the part where he watched David Lee Roth join the band on MTV to present an award. If you want the details on that, Watch the documentary, Van Halen's Lost Boy. Mitch is someone who is intriguing to me, to everyone, especially Van Halen fans. Someone who was handed the keys to the castle and comfortably walked away. I remember watching Van Halen's Lost Boy with fascination. 
Here was the big reveal. This was the guy we'd heard about for years, in hushed tones and whispered rumors. It's like when Mark Felt revealed to the world he was deep throat in the Richard Nixon Watergate scandal, a shadow coming out of the dark haze of rock and roll folklore stepping into the bright spotlight of pop culture scrutiny. Many times when one is an uber fan of something or somebody, the main players take a background seat to the supporting cast, mainly due to overexposure. The people who have been worthy enough to play a part in the Van Halen story are, at this point, a little more interesting to me than Eddie or DLR. Mitch Malloy's story isn't a rock and roll cautionary tale, and there are enough stories about making it, capturing the crown, winning the prize. There aren't, however, enough stories or any stories, to remind us that you don't need any of this to be successful or content. The path to rock and roll fame and fortune has long been found to have a myriad of flaws, loopholes, glitches, limitations, and deformities. Mitch impressively managed to sidestep all that. Now, this episode contains a pre-story unto itself— I found Mitch a little over a year ago and started inviting him onto the podcast over the transom. But I didn't hear back and I soon gave up trying to get Mitch on. Until last month, while we were on tour in Europe, Mitch finally wrote me back. Seems like my invites weren't getting filtered through to his inbox properly. And you can blame heavy security junk mail filters, but no worries, receiving the message from Mitch made my day and kept my spirits up while out on the road. I couldn't wait to get back home, call Mitch up on Skype and talk shop. If you haven't heard episode number 114 with Ian Christie, check it out to hear my almost overwrought fandom for anything Van Halen. A day after I arrived back from tour, the internet was abuzz with Mitch Malloy. Mitch had only now released the demo he had done with Eddie Van Halen out into the world and was suddenly thrown onto the headlines front and center. It made me bubble with excitement since it was perfect timing, but I knew I had to expedite this podcast episode. So, although I have other episodes waiting in the wings, here's the episode with Mitch Malloy sooner than later. For someone I just met over the phone, it didn't take much to notice. Mitch is very disarming, very cordial, very likable. Makes this Van Halen fan yearn and wish for the Van Malloy era to have taken place even more now. After you listen to this episode, watch the doc on YouTube and listen to a few of his solo songs you might very well agree. And check out It's the Right Time the demo he did with Eddie Van Halen. Just do a search on the title's name and Mitch Malloy's name, and you'll find it and listen to it. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. I'd like to thank Blue Mic Microphones and Skullcandy Headphones for their support of the podcast. Thanks to Chino Loco's Restaurants, because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. And thanks to everyone who has left a rating or a review of the podcast on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, or iTunes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and any of the episodes uh, that, you know, you, you may have spent some time with. Here we go. I can't believe this podcast episode with Mitch Molloy has been realized. 
got to pat myself on the back for this one. A definite feather in the cap to have Van Halen's Lost Boy on my podcast. Mitch Malloy is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Danko's go out to for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from fucked up. Stop playing. Hang down. Down. Login protocol initiated. Sequencing algorithm interface. The official Danko Jones podcast uploaded. Listen with caution. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. When the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do, take a listen, would you now, to what Danko Jones would do? It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast. Turn the speakers up loud for Danko's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Yeah! Hello? Hello! Hey Mitch, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Uh, I'm great now that I'm talking to you. It is a thrill to 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 get you on here. <laughs> well, the thrill is all mine, dude. Um, you are someone you have an incredible story. Uh, in rock and roll, it's a it's a unique one. I've never heard of this kind of story, this kind of twist, um, with a within rock and roll. Yeah, it's pretty unique, actually. Yeah, I wanted to start from before the the Van Halen story took place. Okay. Um, yeah. There, you already before Van Halen even found out about who you are, um, you you already had a record deal. You already had a, a road crew. You were doing it. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I, I had I had hits, actually, before then. And, um, you know, I was... I visited every radio station in America. And when I say every radio station in America, I mean every radio station in America. <laughs> and, um, and many in Europe, actually. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, I was on MTV Europe quite a bit. I got a little bit of MTV play here, not as much, but I got a ton of MTV play in Europe. Right. And um, yeah, I was on Leno, and yeah, yeah, I had a lot of things going on. Um, one of the players who was instrumental in you joining Van Halen was uh, a man named Steve Hoffman. True, yeah, yeah. Uh, the late Steve Hoffman, we actually crossed paths with Steve way back in the day. He wanted to manage our band. Ah, oh, cool. Lucky. And <laughs> yeah, this is a few, I think this is a few years after you had gone through the Van Halen rigmarole. But, uh, you know, Steve, of co- as you know, was, th- was uh, joined up with Ray at SRO and he was a manager and he was looking to get new artists and new bands. And so... We had a few meetings with him. Cool. But he, you know Steve because Steve was your road manager. Am I right? That is true, yeah. He, he worked for Louis Levin, who was my manager. 
So it was Steve. Steve was my day to day guy. You know, the big managers, they have guys working with them for them. Right. Who do day to day for their their acts. And um, and Steve was my day to day guy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I dealt with him, you know, daily pretty much. And when it was time to go on the road, do any kind of thing like that, he was always the guy. So he was my road manager as well. Yes, I see. Well, he was he was my road manager for a while. And then I had a road manager as well as him. So I had, you know, a, a lot of people working for me. It sounds like you were already on a path more so than, you know, if they had taken any other singer. You were you were doing your own thing. You didn't need anybody when the Van Halens knocked on your door. Um, that's very accurate and very astute, actually. And no one's ever, ever said that. Um, you know, people always come at, to, at me like, you know, you're nothing. Why wouldn't you want to be in Van Halen? <laughs> you know, it's like, hang on a second. Yeah, absolutely. I was not nothing. <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. In that little uh clip, the lost the lost boy Van Halen right. clip, mm-hmm. you know, Steve's name jumped out at me and then I was like, "What was Steve doing? He was a road manager." And everything clicked in. I mean, I didn't even have to see that Leno Tonight Show clip to to know that if if the dude's got a road manager, <laughs> he's he doesn't really need uh, that much of a leg up. Then you, I mean, you got to be blind. Take a look at your photo. You've got a deal. Look at the guy, and he's got a road crew. You were pretty much on your way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this business is is very up and down and 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 bumpy, as I'm sure you know, having been in it. So. There are peaks and valleys for sure, but yeah, I I had all all kinds of things in place, and in fact, just you know, and I've never shared this. I don't think I've shared this with anybody, or maybe I have over the years, but don't recall it. Um, the first thing Steve said to me when he called me is, he called me Mitchie Boy, which is what, you know, if you knew Steve, like I knew him, he was like a Mitchie Boy. That's how he would talk, like a, like a cartoon character. I, I loved Steve. But, but yeah, um, I'm like, yes, because I hadn't heard from him in a while. And he's like, do you have any deals right now? I'm like, what do you mean do I have any deals right now? He goes, have you signed anything Record, new record contract, new publishing contract. I said, Steve, I'm about to. I'm about to sign both big. Wow. And he's, and he's like, don't. Wow. And I'm like, what do you mean don't? He goes, are you sitting down? I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, you better sit down, Mitch. And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and then the whole Van Halen thing was laid out to me. Right. And then I understood why he wouldn't want me to sign anything and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. And, and I guess listeners should know that Steve Hoffman was part of SRO management, which is headed by Ray Daniels, manager of Rush and at the time Van Halen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, was Steve based out of obviously you knew him from America. Was Steve now based in Toronto? 
Yeah, in fact, another backstory thing, you know, Steve and I were pretty close. And, um, you know, although he worked for me, he confided in me as well, right? Mm -hmm. He would call me and ask what I thought and stuff like that. So when it was time for him to to either take or not take that job, it was a big deal for Steve because Steve, Steve's a New Yorker, right? right? And, and very much a New Yorker. He owned New York as in like, he, <laughs> he loved being a New Yorker. He loved it. Like when we would travel, he would just like scoff at other places because they, because <laughs> they weren't New York. I know the type. <laughs> okay. Well, he, Steve was that guy. So, so it was a very large pill for Steve to swallow to have to leave New York. And, and he did not want to period right. the end. He did not want to. So he would call me and ask me, and he did more than once before he took that job. He called and he was like, but he, he's going to have Van Halen. Like he's going to get Van Halen. And I could work with Van Halen. <laughs> Van wow. Halen was always such a big deal to Steve. Um, so, yeah, anyway, he, he left New York and, and went to Toronto. I said, go. I said, Steve, you're insane. Go. Right. Just go. You're going to Toronto. It's a great place. It's Canada. It's not New York. But, you know, I went from North Dakota to New York, and I know it's not the same thing, but you learn when you go to other places. And this is a... This is a chance for you to work with somebody who's, you know, really doing, you know, done some great things and probably going to do more and the things you could learn from him and who knows, you know, so he went. And, you know, I had a similar uh, experience when we first walked into SRO to actually meet with Steve. Mm -hmm. This is when he was interested in our band. And I, you know, growing up in Toronto, Rush, Rush is everything. Ray Daniels was kind of the fourth member of Rush. If you were a yes. Rush fan, yes. you'd understand how closely tied SRO and Ray Daniels was to Rush. So I walk into the offices waiting to be ushered inside, and I'm looking at all the platinum and gold records, and I'm looking at all the, of course, you know, Rush records. And then I start seeing Van Halen records, and I was like, they manage Van Halen too? Like, okay, <laughs> let's take the meeting you know yeah, yeah yeah so i understand what he meant with yes. the whole van halen thing now yeah. you had to heed your own advice when steve called you to join up with van halen what was what was going through your mind when you were presented with the opportunity to join one of the biggest rock bands in history i was um you know obviously it took took my breath away initially yeah. initially yeah um, like what yeah. really and then and then uh, you know he said well you know we're, we've talked and talked about this and you're the only guy i mean you're you're the only guy who can come in and and replace both dave and sammy you're the only guy we can think of and and you're perfect for the job you know um, you're the right guy. You have the right voice. You have the right look. You can write songs. You're the you're the you're the guy. You're the package. And he called me, called me, called me. And eventually, I started to get annoyed actually by it. And and and, and I mean, initially, I was like, "Are you got to be kidding me?" Because I was in a whole nother headspace doing something else. 
and excited about what I was doing. Like you had said, I had my own thing going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's funny because I've heard Sammy say that in the in the whole context of the Van Halen thing. And it almost seems like Sammy is trying to stick up for himself. Like, you know, like I'm Sammy Hagar. Like, of course, you're Sammy Hagar. He doesn't even need to say that. You know what I mean? Right. He was Sammy Hagar. He did so many things. I mean, I was influenced by Sammy when he was in Montrose. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I mean, come on. So, but, and I've never taken this stance before, but you brought it up. So, um, anyway, I did have other things going on. And eventually, about the third call, I said, Steve, seriously, if this is serious, I want to hear from somebody else. <laughs> like, like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. I wow. said, you know, you have Ed call me, and then immediately we hung up, and immediately Ray called me, and was just like, "You're the guy," and blah 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 blah. And even if you don't become, uh, you know, the singer of Van Halen, I'm gonna manage you, and blah 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 blah, like all yeah. this stuff. And I was like, "Ah, <laughs> that's awesome!" But I, I already have a manager. <laughs> I already had a manager yeah. that I love. You know, it's an interesting thing that. You make in the Lost Boy uh, documentary, you make a, a very clear distinction and how you had to keep it secret because you were based out of Nashville. That came with uh, a certain kind of way of thinking. Yes. And it did not cross the world of rock. You would be stigmatized if oh. word got out. Completely. Completely ostracized by the town. Now... You still are based out of Nashville. I am. You've yep. released um, It's the Right Time. I You've, have. Two years ago, the doc came out. Everybody found out about it. Yep. How did you and why and what's that now? How did you get over the, the stigma? Um, well, the thing was, I realized after a few years of pounding my head against the good old boy network that I wasn't really ever going to get in anyway. Right. Okay. Right. So it was like, well, I might as well just be who I am (laughs) and own the things I've done. And, you know, uh, and, and you know, I even, you know, frustratingly have said to some of those people in Nashville, like, you know, I was in Van Halen, you know, it's like because they they're so disrespectful here. You know, I mean, it, well, they were. They aren't anymore. Right. The town has changed a lot since back then. You know, 10 years ago, Nashville started changing quite a bit. And now it's completely a different place. Um, and and I'm, I'm a little bit involved in what Nashville does to a degree, but not that involved, um, at least to the country side of things. I'm not really involved. Right involved in that nor nor do i really care to be much but but i I mean i'm about to produce a country guy coming up here so i'm still you know i still have you know uh, my my toe in there but but yeah i mean it just became clear to me that it didn't matter anymore and that i could just tell the truth and and you know i mean it was kind of a badge i mean being invited into the van halen camp is is really like a knighthood yeah for a rock person it's, yeah. it, it it gives me complete and total rock credibility yeah. yeah and 
you know, it really is like a stamp, like I like I'm approved, you know. So I, I was not owning that. <laughs> and I decided that I should probably own it. You know? how, how was it living with this knowledge that you alone only knew? Uh, it must have been frustrating to no end. Well, I am the kind, and I've said this quite often, I'm the kind of guy who doesn't really lament about the past. I, I don't um, dwell on, on the past. And I'm very focused on the task at hand and what's right ahead of me. Um, and that's how I go through life. And, and so I would have long periods, long, long periods of complete forgetfulness about Van Halen. Right. To the point where it almost seemed like a dream. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That happened. <laughs> I used to be friends with Eddie Van Halen. That's right. I was in Van Halen. You know, and, and then the, the moment passes and then I'm back to doing what I'm doing. Um, so, no, not not incredibly frustrating. Um, the only real frustration was when I was there and he was playing me music that I didn't really get. And that was frustrating. Um, and then seeing them on MTV with David Lee Roth, mm -hmm. that was frustrating. Right. Um, those two things, I would say, were my only real frustrations with Van Halen. Other than that, it's just, it is what it is. It is a, it's a fantastic thing that happened to me. Now, to get uh, the world of Van Halen is very closed off. It's almost mythical. 5150 is almost like Shangri-La to a lot of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you, you, you got the gig for Van Halen. You were in 5150. Now, there's a point in the doc where you say that um, you, were, you, get, you were getting the gig and you were hanging out with Eddie and, and working on demo song ideas. How long was that period? I was there for a long time. It's funny because somebody in print just said, you know, his short three-day stay with Van Halen. I was like, bullshit, three-day stay? Where do you get these things? Right. Like, I was pissed. I, I wrote to the guy and said, where did you get three-day stint or whatever it was you said? Because that is not true. I was there way longer than that. I was there for... I think I was there for 10 days, two weeks, something closer to two weeks than one. And so, it, was, it was just hanging with the band and the guys. And yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. On the third. Uh, oh, maybe where he got that was because I said on the third day and he's kind of a. Anyway. Yeah. I, in, <laughs> in the documentary, I said, I just recall that I said on the third day I was told I was in the band because that's what happened on the third day. I was told I was in the band. Right. So why would I leave on the third day? <laughs> there's there's a, a clip on YouTube. I don't know how anyone got a hold of this, but it's you singing Panama. And I noticed that you left a comment yourself that is pinned to the page. Okay. And it was basically you saying, look, I got out of the limo and we just started jamming. One take. It's a three minute take as long as the song is. So that's what happened? Is that really what happened? 
Yeah, basically, I, I got out of the limo. I'll never I'll never forget this because I got out of the limo and I had my sunglasses on. And Ed walks up to me and like and when I say up to me, I mean up to me like he was like like a quarter of an inch from me. Right. And he like take he reaches up and he pushes my glasses up and he looks into my eyes. He goes, I have to see your eyes, man. And then he put my glasses. He goes, awesome. And he puts the glasses down. It, it was so freaking weird. That's awesome. Uh, it was like, woo, okay. And then, yeah, we just started rocking out. He's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I, whatever you want to do. Wow. Wow. I mean, you nailed Panama for, for a first take. That was the only take. The only take? I mean, just for a jam? You it nailed a, it. It wasn't a take. It was right. it was live. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't I wouldn't call it a take. I would call it like let's rock. Here we go. That's what that was. Now, what's going through your mind when you're doing this for the first time and Eddie's in front of you and Alex is in front of you? Like, I mean, how do you how do you pull yourself together and open your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> Man, it, I was born to do this stuff. I mean, it's like, for me, it was like, this is it. Let's go. This is this is your shot. This is, you know, this is what you've been waiting for all these years. Here it is, right so there. You, you're an old rocker. I mean, you you grew up listening to rock, right? I'm an old rocker. Like this, I'm just a rocker. I absolutely. I I got the first Van Halen album before anybody else in my town had it. It was a demo that record stores used to put out. Maybe, you know, the record companies maybe would allow them to open one and use it as a demo. I don't know how that happened. I never asked. But there would be a bin in the record store, and it was a tiny record store in a tiny town, um, where they had open uh, records that you could go through that bin and if you saw something you thought you were interested in they would play it for you so you could audition records before you bought them at this record store it was awesome <laughs> so i would do that so i'm going through the, this bin and i see this van halen cover and i'm like holy crap what is this von holland what is this who are these guys yeah like German von Hollen. <laughs> so I like, that's what I thought it was called von Hollen. That's what it looked like to me. So I'm, I'm like looking at it going, Whoa. And then I look at the back and I'm like, Whoa, I got to hear this. And I put it on and it's, and I hear the, you know, eruption. And I'm like, what is that? What even is that? I don't even know what that is. I think it's a guitar. What is that? Yeah. And I so I, I snagged it. It was five dollars and forty nine cents or something like that. And I took it home and I started calling my friends. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And yeah, I mean, I grew up on Aerosmith and, you know, all this everything, Kiss, all the rock stuff. Yep. Well, well it, it's it, interesting because I've been I reached out to you over a year ago uh, wanting to, you to come on this podcast and only just a few days ago did you release the demo of it's the right time with yeah. eddie van halen right yeah why now um 
I, that's a really good question. I, I'm not sure I have an answer for that. Um, I think you can probably tell that I'm not a stupid person. <laughs> but I just, I just didn't feel like I should do it. You know, like I just, I would be like, you know, I really got to put out that Van Halen thing. And then I think in like in some way, I thought maybe it could hurt them. And I know that sounds crazy, probably going to sound crazy to everybody, but because why would I care? But I just do, I guess. I, I don't know. I I maybe also a little protective of Van Halen because I grew up on it or something or you know i like i value van halen and what it is and and i just thought it might be confusing to people and weird and it might hurt the band and you know i don't know man i just i just sat on it i just it just didn't feel like it was the right time until you know the other day when i just let it fly I just, you know, one day I just went, you know what? I'm doing this. I'm just going to put it out there because this is a song that I think people need to hear in this time of all the terrorism and all the crap that's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like everywhere you go, you see all these beheadings and all, gosh, just all this terrible stuff that's going on. And the message in this song is really uplifting. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this to the fans and some of the Van Halen fans are probably going to hate it and trash me and so be it, whatever. My fans will probably like it and people will like it and they'll get something from it. So I'm going to put it out there. And, you know, I sort of winced as I did it like, Oh, what's going to, what's going to happen? You know, cause it's kind of a big deal. It's Van Halen, you know, have but you heard from uh, the Van Halen camp about it? I have not. No, I I figured if I'm going to do and that documentary was the same thing. Ten years they were after me to do that. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. Why, 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 why? I would always ask, why? They'd say, we want you to do that. I'd say, why? I don't I don't see a reason. Why? Who, who cares? You know, does anybody really care about this? Why should I do this? And then one day I just said, you know what? Okay. I threw my hands up and said, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, lesser people would have done it in six months. Well, you know what? When I did run into Ed again, you know, we had contact, uh, when he let Gary go, he called me that day. And, and, but before that we had a contact and I did go see him. Uh, they came through Nashville and, I hung out with him for the day. I hung out with him and Al for the day. And then I, and I was backstage all day with them and for the show and everything. And um, and my first conversation with Ed was, Mitch, you are a soulful, soulful dude. And it was like a compliment because I didn't extort or I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't try to use Van Halen when I could have to become famous. I didn't go on Howard Stern. Right. You know, he never invited me, but he didn't know about me. Right. If I had called Howard Stern and said, hey, guess what? There's another guy who was in Van Halen that you don't know about. He would have been like, well, you got to come on the show. And I, I bet they would have, you know, invited me on the show. Mm-hmm. And things would have changed drastically. And, you know, 
uh, Ed might not have that same feeling now that I've done this. He might be mad at me. I don't know. And, and I had to take that chance. I figured that might happen. But the, I thought the music was too important to not just sit on it, that people should hear it. Because it's music, and that's what it's for. People are supposed to hear it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm... I'm obsessed with Eddie Van Halen's recordings in 5150 that he hasn't released. I mean, he's notorious for keeping it close to the vest. Yes. But like you said, I mean, this isn't this won't embarrass Ed Eddie Van Halen. This is a great song. Thank you. And I know that there's a another kind of version from Gary, that's yes. why I love you. Yes. And now people can A, B both songs, not to bring down Gary Sharon, like he's a great singer. He's incredible. Great, great guy. Yeah, from what I've heard. Yeah. But not because I have you here in front of me, but I will say It's the Right Time is, is really the right melody, lyrics, etc. for the music that Ed put down. Thank I you. mean, it is incredible. It's a great song. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it quick, 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 quick. It's like 15, 20 minutes. Boom. Done. And can I say that again, not because you're here, I would say this to my friends, but Gary Sharon is a great singer. But if you want a successor to Sammy, you can hit all the notes that Sammy's trying to hit. Yes. You can hit that easily your register is that wide it's so obvious like there's some sammy songs that are great but i can hear him straining his voice you can just like walk through that (laughs) well i appreciate you saying that um yeah i mean i think eddie really 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 wanted me in the band and i I think see why and i think he said that and howard stern even said it so i mean years later when lost boy finally did come out Howard co- covered it very briefly. Just that he did, did a little blurb about it, or Panama maybe. It was I think it was Panama. He did a little blurb about it. Right. He did do a little tiny backstory thing where he said Eddie really wanted this guy, which was nice. Which kind of vindicated me, you know. Now people should know that you were not fired from Van Halen. You left on your own accord. That's where where I'm going with that. That's yeah. what. That. And Howard said, you know, Eddie really wanted this guy. And then that's all Howard said. You know, people people are saying, um, you know, that the band really wanted him, but the label and the management didn't. Right. Yeah. And and that may very well be um, the reason I walked away was because of things been said that weren't true. OK. So I and, and, and I'm not saying that was coming from the Van Halens. All right. So I left because of unnecessary drama and wanting to avoid that in my life. All right. Oh, my God. Yeah. I saw the writing on the wall. Right. That's that's why I walked away. OK. That's why I wrote the letter. That's what because it was like you. I did what you said. What? I, what? I, what? What? That, you know, that that's why I walked away, because they were trying to paint a picture that wasn't what happened. I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. I'm out. And um, 
uh, yeah, and so so I, so Howard doesn't have the whole story, right? But at least he said he really wanted this guy. <laughs> at least he said that. You well, know? I think it's a testament that you're you and Eddie are still friends to this day. That it's not the Van Halens, and it's not you just leaving on a whim. No, no, it became apparent to me that it was going to be weird and and very difficult and strange and all those things. And, um, you know, and Gary was right there. You know, Gary was the placeholder. I mean, Gary was managed by Ray. Um, I don't know if he still is. Maybe he is. I don't know. But um, I haven't spoken to Gary in ages and ages. But, yeah, I mean, it was... It was kind of a automatic thing, you know. Gary was there, and and um, I wasn't, <laughs> and there it is. Yeah. So now we fast forward to today. What what have you? I know what you've been up to, but what have you been up to? <laughs> <laughs> I I actually took a couple of years off. Um, about a year ago, I came back. I just needed a break. I had done nothing but music since I was six years old. And I started singing live, you know, when I was six. And I, I formed my first band when I was 12. And, and it was music, music, music all the time. So at, at a certain age, you just get burnt on <clears throat> doing the same thing all the time. And I needed some time off. So I took two years off. And then... <clears throat> Just when I was thinking, you know what, I think I'm, I'm ready to get back. Uh, a kid walked through my door from Australia that just reminded me of me so much I couldn't believe it. Like, I was just like, oh, are you kidding me? And wanted me to produce him and his band. And so I did. And I just finished that. And um, it's, I think, the best rock music I've ever made. I, I wrote, you know, the record with him and um, produced it, engineered it, mixed it, mastered it here in my studio. And that will come out <clears throat> in February. And I'm in the middle of another, another band from Kansas City that's also a really, really great record. So I'm a producer. I've always been a producer, um, but I decided when I came back off of my two-year vacation um, that I was going to really focus on producing and, you know, lifting younger people up and uh, helping them and mentoring them. And, and so that's the approach I've taken, and I've been gifted with one of the most gifted kids I've ever seen. And, and I think he's going to be I think his band is going to be huge. I really do. I mean, if there's a chance for a rock band to succeed in 2016, I think this has as good a chance as anything I've seen. Who, who's what's his name? The name. Well, the na it's a band. The name of the band is Kato, K-A-A-T-O. And uh, okay. and this is the, the, the debut CD. And it's it's kind of like a cross between Queen, Boston, um, first Guns N' Roses record. Um, 
it's uh it's completely current classic rock wow well that's great uh, is there anything from you like any solo stuff um i just remixed retooled sort of reproduced probably my favorite song off my last notable record which was called mitch malloy 2 mm-hmm. the song is called love song and um I wrote it with Keith Scott from uh, Brian Adams. Oh, okay. He's playing lead guitar on it. Like, uh, I, I just, I, I'm making other people's records now. I'm writing songs for them and with them, and that's exciting for me. I get, I get a lot out of that. I don't know. It's, it's fun, um, and you know, having them sing it instead of me sing it. And um, coaching them through the vocal, producing their vocal, and all that—I I just really enjoy it. Um, I, I really almost prefer it. <clears throat> so, I mean, I think that eventually I will make another solo record, but I'm—it's not slated. It's not on the schedule. You know, the schedule is pretty booked right now for the productions, and it's not going to happen in 2016. I'll tell you that. Um, because yeah, that's pretty much booked. So <clears throat> if it happens, it would be 2017, 2018. We'll see. Wow. Yeah. Well, well thanks, I- Mitch. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> you are you are this phantom figure that, that has been looming over me. <laughs> <laughs> to, to reach out to you is, is incredible. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you very much. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.